0: Coming up, we'll learn about the creation of the TV series, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Sugar Mint Gallery hosted a Q&A with series co-creator DJ McHale on May 21st. Moderated by Jeff DePauli, DJ explains the history of the series and Easter eggs behind four of the episodes. Today, we're playing the full presentation for you. This event is part of the Spooky Kids Club exhibit and there are more events scheduled through June. Check SugarMint.com for details. Welcome to the show, I'm Philip. On the Haunted Trash Network show, where we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, on-location coverage, and interviews from haunts around the world. Whether you're a Halloween enthusiast or professional haunter, each episode helps you celebrate the best holiday. Normally, we air news on Mondays, but this episode is a special treat for all those inspired by this series. If you're new to the show or you want to tell your friends about it, our podcast website has categories to help you sort through our over 700-episode catalogue. Simply visit our podcast website at haunt.news or search for us in Spotify to get started. And with that, I'll hand it over to Jeff.
1: Thank you for coming. Without further ado, the create, the co-creator, writer, and director of Are You Afraid of the Dark, DJ McHale. Thank you. Now y'all don't know for the most part what episodes we're playing tonight, right? All right, well you'll find out during this conversation, but let's start way at the beginning. Okay. Just where did the idea come from? Was this a hard sell? I know it originally had a different title, which was Scary Tales.
2: Scary Tales. So yeah.
1: how did that all start?
2: The, um, I was hired to do an adaptation of a kids book series called Encyclopedia Brown, Boy Detective which was on HBO. I
1: love that show. Anybody watch that? Did everybody see the show? Yes, I love that show.
2: And I was hired by the producer, a fellow by the name of uh, Ned Candle. And uh, it was really funny. He actually hired me because he saw some ABC after-school special that I wrote, which was some really heartfelt story about the separation of church and state and how it it was very earnest after-school special type thing. And somehow he extrapolated from that that I could write a silly comedy about a boy detective who solved crimes. I added up, but he was right. So we made the series; and it was a big success. And then he said, "Hey, let's come up with our own show." So, our first thought was we didn't think we were good enough to make our own series. So what we first did was we said we're going to make something that's going to go direct to video. And back in the well, no one remembers that, but it was it's. I remember. It's yeah, back direct to video. It was before DVDs. It was before digital. You know, it's was, it was direct to video. Um, and the idea was the idea I came up with was. I don't know what we called it, but it was basically fairy tales for lazy parents. (laughs) And the idea was that we'd get some old time actor sitting in a big cushy chair with a fireplace, and he'd have a big book that said fairy tales on it. And he would read these fairy tales, and we'd record it, and then we'd package it together as a video and sell it and make millions of dollars. And the idea is that parents who didn't feel like reading to their kid that night, and I know that experience because my daughter is here <laughs> when she was little. Um, they just pop the video and say, hey, good night. And they, they go away. Great idea, except we, what stories were we going to do? We didn't know. What to, it's like, oh, we're going to do Little Red Riding Hood, you know, Three Little Pigs. You know, nothing sounded all that interesting. So Ned asked me the infamous question. He said, what kind of stories did you like when you were a kid? And I said, I liked scary stories. Ooh, scary stories! Suddenly, it took on a whole new vibe. So suddenly, scary tale, fairy tales became scary tales. And but the idea of having some old guy with scary tales and you're telling the stories to the little kid, you know, it was like that didn't fly. So the old guy goes away. So it's like, well, where do you tell scary stories? Like ooh, around the campfire. Let's oh let's have kids sit around a campfire and they're going to tell scary stories. Ooh, that sounds good. So then, but then why do we just why are we just telling the stories? Why don't we actually show the stories? So suddenly the budget's going up. Uh, and up, and up, and up, and suddenly it became a TV show, so we went to Nickelodeon, and we said, we got this idea, it's about a group of kids sitting around a campfire telling scary stories, and they're really scary stories, it's not like Scooby-Doo scary, this is like really appropriate, but scary stories. And then we'll go see the story play out, and we'll always come back to the campfire at the end to show that it was all just made up. And they were like, no. nope you cannot scare little kids i'm thinking yes again but but like no you can't do it so they said go away and we went away like oh well so much for that but before we left and it's and it's actually out here if you see in the the exhibit out here i left a little three-page description of what i thought scary tales was going to be and they put it into the dead show file over the next year they had hired somebody had hired a new development executive and he's, he's probably going through the things that were rejected. And he's like, <laughs> and he went to his bosses to say, How come we're not doing this? He says, Do you realize what you have here? And they're like, mm. So Ned and I went back to pitch another show to them a year later, a show we eventually made for Showtime. And uh, they were like, No. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so, so we're ready to leave. And they're like, But that Scary Tales show, is anyone doing that? And we're like, well, yeah, there's a lot of interest in that show. You know, uh, we don't know if it's available. I can check. We're like, shit. <laughs> so, so that's how, I mean, a lot, there was, I'm jumping over a lot of stuff before we made, actually made the series, but one of the things that they said to me right up front was, we love the show, we don't like the title. I'm like, what? Well, it's Tales, they're scary. Scary Tales kind of fits, don't you think? And he goes, no, it's too, too on the nose. We need more of a Nickelodeon-type title.
1: <laughs> ding ding! Here it comes. So,
2: should I wait? <laughs> yeah, here it comes. Okay. So everybody wave. I, It's the 402. From, it's train magic. So uh, I'm thinking, God, it's gonna rise and fall on a new title. I have to go over the title. And so at the time, Nickelodeon had a lot of. Are we all old Nickelodeon fans? Do oh, we watch yes it? Okay. <laughs> So they didn't have normal titles. They had Calursa Explains It All. You can't do that on television. Salute Your Short. You know, all kind of oddball titles. Something, okay, that's more of an oddball title. And when I was a little kid, the first scary story I fell in love with was a Dr. Seuss story. Um, I can still hear my mother telling me the story. It was in the book The Sneeches. The Sneeches and Other Stories. And there were four stories. The fourth one was a story called What Was I Scared Of? And it was a story about a little Dr. Seuss character is being chased by a pair of pale green pants with no one inside him. I love that story. So what was I scared of? What was I, oh, that's a good title. What was I scared of? What was I, well, I, was, I was afraid of clowns, but the scary clown show is too scary. And so well, what was I, well, I was afraid of the dark, afraid of the, dark. are you afraid of the dark? Ooh, how about, are you afraid of the dark? And they're like, yes, that was it. So, so the title, are you afraid of the dark kind of came roundaboutly from a Dr. Seuss story, what was I scared of? And the rest and, and here we sit today. Jumping over thirty years, like every year we said today.
1: I want to talk about the theme song opening because it is super (laughs) iconic. It has stuck with this show to this day. It's still that theme song. The opening almost looks like B-roll that was like sitting in a file somewhere. How did that come about? Uh, It's so iconic.
2: Well, well, it's kind of two separate things. The uh, you know when you make a show, any show. You know, like I'm the co-creator, I wrote direct, but there are a lot of people who worked on the show. A lot of people, a lot of creativity went into making the show. And one of the composers uh, who composed maybe the score for maybe half the episodes, plus another fellow by the name of Jeff Zahn. Jeff Fisher is the guy that composed a lot of the episodes. Um, I said, I, I need a theme song. I need a creepy scene. Maybe it's kind of Danny Elfman-like. You know, it's kind of weird and eerie. And they came up with that hook, that double hook. da 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 And so they put, the two of them put that together and came up with this theme song. The title, I had nothing to do with. (laughs) Nickelodeon did it. And um, I thought they knocked it out of the park. I thought it was just great. Uh, So what, when they, you know, I approved it and I heard all the storyboards and all that. But what I got back from Nickelodeon were the visuals and a couple of sound effects. So then I went to Jeff and Jeff and said, okay, we have to incorporate the set, the music into this thing. And they added the... So production added the music, Nickelodeon did the visuals and it became this iconic thing that to this day... Eh when those first couple of moments come up, it's just like, oh, here we go. (laughs) This is great.
1: Who knew a boat and a skateboard could be so scary? And a swing.
2: So scary. Yes,
1: I love it. I I am curious, I swear we'll get to the episodes, but I am curious, Are You Afraid of the Dark became part of SNCC, which is such an iconic television block for kids of the 90s. I love SNCC. Um, I can remember, like, literally it was event television for me every weekend. Like, did you know going in that Are You Afraid of the Dark was gonna become part of that? And I don't know, did you have any feelings toward being part of
2: it? I I don't know how early on I knew, but but someone at Nickelodeon, I don't know who it was, came up with a brilliant idea. I mean, traditionally, Saturday night is death for television. People aren't watching TV, that has been the common thing. Nobody watches TV on Saturday night. And someone at Nickelodeon realized, no, wait a minute, there, there is a group of people that watches TV on Saturday night. It's people who are too old to be in bed and too young to be on a date.
0: <laughs>
2: They're watching television, and that's when they came up with SNICK. And the thing that I think was so great about SNICK, besides going for that audience, is that it, in that two-hour block, certainly in the beginning—I mean, it metamorphosized over you know, it changed over the course of years—but in that two-hour block you had such a variety of different shows different styles of shows that appeared to different kids i mean the first show was colors explains it all so it was a sitcom the second show was uh, a comedy variety called show. That. Uh No, it was before it was called Roundabout Roundhouse. Oh,
1: I loved Roundhouse. Roundhouse, Roundhouse does not get enough love. Any Roundhouse it fans it. here? It doesn't. It. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Another was, great theme song. Uh, exactly. So and
2: that was the first. So that was the first part of Snake. Then there was Ren and Stimpy, which is an irreverent animated thing, which actually existed on MTV before that. And they brought it over to Nickelodeon. And then the 930 show was Are You Afraid of the Dark, which is a scary drama. And, and the fact that Are You Afraid of the Dark was on at 9.30, I think added to the allure of it, because it was like staying up a little bit late, a little bit later than you're normally <laughs> staying up. And it made it, spe- I remember asking my parents f- to allow me to stay up late on Sunday nights to watch a show called Thriller. And it was the same kind of vibe, I think. It's people's like, well, we're, we're not only seeing the scary show, we're staying up a little bit later to watch this thing. So I don't remember when I realized that there was a SNCC, but uh, certainly before the show, b- the series premiered, but but Awesome. It, it, and one thing I didn't realize until I, because I'm an idiot, is that, and I started getting these things from the people at Nickelodeon saying, thanks for helping put Nickelodeon on the map. Because I didn't realize that Nickelodeon, it was popular before that, but Snick put him through the, the stratosphere. And it's like, wow, I feel like I'm a part of history.
1: That's kind of cool, (laughs) I kind of like that. Who here has seen The Orange Years? Anybody see the documentary? If you haven't seen it, I think it's Hulu. uh, The Orange Years, you're part of it.
2: Um,
1: So good about the history of Nickelodeon, just how it became what it is. And frankly, if you grew up in the 90s, like it was the sweet spot for Nick. So we're we're
2: lucky people. I'll add to that, I mean, if you haven't seen it, it, if you talk to any of the people who created shows back in that time, they all have the same story. Different shows, same story. Nickelodeon said, you have a good idea? Go with it. I never got any notes from the network. They didn't tell me what to do. They're, it made it help that we were in another country making it. <laughs> so, so, so if they ever had any complaints, I'm like, oh, you "Well, know, the Canadians are making me do that. And if, and if, if the Canadians was, not Nickelodeon's ah, size, so not me, I gotta do it. So they never had any notes. It was, uh, I could do whatever I wanted to do. It was awesome. And you talk like, to any of the creators from any of those shows back in the 90s at Nickelodeon, it was the same thing. Cool. Yeah.
1: Now let's reveal the first episode we'll be seeing tonight from 1992, The Tale of the Twisted Claw. Now, the actual Twisted Claw is on display in the display case. If you didn't get a chance to see it, check it out when you leave tonight. Also the the show description, the pitch kind of pages he was talking about earlier, hanging on the wall in there, so check those out. But first of all, this was the quote unquote first episode but not the first episode there's like three first episodes you wrote a first episode and then there is the tale of the (laughs) twisted claw and then there's actually like the series first episode so let's discuss okay
2: it's, it's a big confusion i don't know when when i first developed the show i wrote three scripts and you always have to write multiple scripts to prove to the network whatever the show is that you it'll work so the very first episode that i wrote was the tale of the prom queen and that script's out here too, by the way, you can see it.
1: On display in there, yep.
2: And uh, I wanted that to be the pilot. And they're like, nope, we're afraid. We're afraid of, are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> the reason being, no one had done this before. There's nothing like this had been on TV. And they were afraid the parents are gonna come after them with pitchforks and, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, torches. It was like, you'd say, I didn't do this to our kids. So they said, as best as you can, see if you can base some of the episodes on literary antecedents so that if parents complain to us, we can say, what are you talking about? This is classic literature. It's really ill-conceived argument, because it's like, I don't care if it's classic literature. You just warped my kid. (laughs) It's it's crazy. (laughs) So uh, Twisted Claw is based on the monkey's paw. So that's why they picked that to be the pilot. So we shot that in 1991. Complete with the Midnight Society and and the 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 tale, when we got oh, the other two episodes I wrote were uh well, I wrote Prom Queen, Tale of the Twisted, Twisted Claw, and the Tale of the Dark Music, which is about the the thing in the basement that only came out when the music played, and they picked Twisted Claw. Fine. That was oh it was run as a special, and they're like oh we're so excited, we're gonna put this on Halloween night, and I was like really. <laughs> The future of this show rests on how many people watch this and like this, and you're going to put it on the one night of the year that anyone who's inclined to watch this show is going to be out (laughs) trick-or-treating. Turns out they were right. Kids did come home. They did watch it. They they aired it a number of times. When we went to series, we recast The Midnight Society. Not that there's anything wrong with those kids, but we just start from scratch. And we brought one kid from the original Midnight Society into the series Midnight Society who was uh, Ross Hull, Ross Hull played David in the pilot and he moved up, he (laughs) he graduated, he played Gary in the series and he became the face of Are You Afraid of the Dark? He's now a weatherman in Toronto. Wow. Um, So I had to reshoot the whole Midnight Society scene and somebody maybe is here tonight. Somebody a couple of months ago found that footage, found the original really? pilot, and posted the original Midnight Society scene. And I hadn't seen it in 30 years. Wow. And it was hysterical because I, I duplicated it shot for shot. <laughs> it was the exact same thing, it's just different actors. It was really funny. Like, wow, well, I guess I didn't think too hard about it. But it was really funny because there was no forest. We had no money. So like made the There's there black. There was like a bush. <laughs> yeah, that, that we'd move by they
1: actually shot it back here in our little exhibit yeah,
2: probably there, there was no storytellers chair there it was there was a log I, it was a rock um so it was really fun to see the same thing. so so the pilot became episode four of the series with the new midnight society so what you're probably going to see tonight is the the episode four of the series but the tale itself is the same as as the pilot episode when we went to series we didn't want to have the pilot being the first episode, because people had already seen the pilot. So we did a different episode to be the first episode of the series, which was "The Phantom Cap. And then we did a couple new ones, and then we snuck in the episode that everybody already saw already, episode four, and then it was off from there. So that was it th- makes sense, doesn't it? It It I think yeah. it worked.
1: Okay. And I think it's the only episode that takes place on Halloween, right? Oh, train and air. Uh, yes, excellent. Thank
2: actually, you. actually no. Oh, there's more. What's uh, what's the Midnight Ride is Halloween.
1: That's right, the Sleepy Hollow one. I can't believe I remember that. Yeah, excellent.
2: Yes. Cool, so uh, the Tale of
1: the Twisted Claw has a, a very unique opening for that reason, because it was a pilot, it was kind of trying to get the, it didn't start around the campfire. Right,
2: right. Did I tell you this in our, uh, yes. yeah, okay. <laughs> that's very astute of you. Oh, that's right. I already told you. <laughs> when you do a pilot, the thing about the pilot is you need to get people to know what the show is fast. And it's hard. You have to introduce characters, you have to introduce situations. And in this case, it's like, okay, it's really about stories within a story. So how are we going to show that? I don't know. So I did something that was brilliant. And you'll see it here tonight. You can see how brilliant it was. <laughs> I started out with a scary scene. Didn't start at the campfire. It's the only show that didn't start at the campfire. I started out with a scary scene, which was something that happened to me when I was a little kid, by the way. Keep that in mind. Uh, and it was solely a scary scene with a shock and then a twist. Ah! And then, boom, then we cut to the campfire. And the kids were like, whoa, whoa, what happened? And the kids telling the story goes, uh, I don't know, I haven't written the rest of the story yet. And they're like, whoa, you can't do that, what? So in, oh, and then it's like, well, we're all here, what are we going to do? No one has a story. And then the character, David, goes, uh, I've got one I've been working on. I'm like, okay, you tell a story. So in that couple of minutes, we showed this is going to be a scary show. It's not just gonna be about one story, and it's gonna be about kids telling those stories all in the first three minutes of the show. So, you'll, so when you watch it, you can see it's like, ah, oh, very clever, the way you, <laughs> you, you put that together. So you got it, and then it's off to the races and you, you see the story and that's it. So that, that's how it was structured that way.
1: Excellent, so we'll see that tonight, followed up by the tale of The Midnight Madness, yeah. which is one of my favorite episodes.
2: The the Midnight, there's a couple reasons why this is fun. Uh, This is my favorite episode. And the reason it's my favorite episode is not necessarily because it's the best. (laughs) It's a really good episode, a fan favorite. Um, But the reason it's personally my favorite episode is because we did this episode in the beginning of season two. And season two is much easier than season one. In season one, you're just trying to figure out how to do it. What's the show about? Know, and, and me trying to relate to a very talented and dedicated crew, this is what I'm trying to do. And they're like, what? What?" It didn't help, by the way, that we shot the show in Montreal and the majority of the crew was French speaking. <laughs> and English was a second language and in some cases a distant second language. So there was that whole thing we had to get through. So it was, season one was a real challenge to get through. But now we're in season two and suddenly we're all along the learning curve. So rather than handing a script to somebody and them going, how are we gonna do this? They go, oh, we know how to do this. How are we gonna make this better? So in my opinion, Midnight Madness represents the first time we were firing on all cylinders, where it's like, we could take what we had and make it better. And, and a good example of that is there are two characters that I created in the first season that I never thought we'd see again. There was Dr. Vink. With a, ver, With a ver, ver, ver. <laughs> The crazy mad scientist who lived in the woods and uh, and stole kids' body parts. (laughs) As they do. Um, (laughs) And the owner of the Magic Mansion, Sardo, no Mr. Mr. Accent Accent on on the Doe. And those are two characters I thought, these guys are really good, I'm gonna bring them back. So in Midnight Madness, it was the first time we brought one of those characters back. And kind of like with the whole series, it was like, okay, we were already going through the learning curve, we know who the actor is, who is wonderful. We know how he's going to dress. We know how he's going to talk. We know what he can do. Let's push it further. And so he's in Midnight Madness. Um, so that, those are a couple of reasons why it's my favorite episode. However, an additional fun thing tonight, which I did not know until we got here, Neither one of it. the stars of Midnight Madness is here tonight. Eddie, stand up, please. Eddie Robinson. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs>
1: Thank you for joining us. It <laughs> was a surprise to us all, so very cool. How
2: awesome is that? Uh, Eddie was wonderful. Eddie, Eddie was in a TV series. That my partner, the reason why I pretty much made Are You Afraid of the Darks, my partner Ned made another series called Swan's Crossing. Did everybody watch Swan's Crossing back in the day? And, and Eddie was one of the stars of Swan's Crossing. So we're looking for more kids because we're desperate for kids. We're like, we don't have enough kids. We're, we need 8,000 kids. And Ned's like, I got a great guy. Eddie's great. So we brought him from New York up to, uh, to Montreal and 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 and. Tell him how great he was when it was over, because he, he was really great.
1: Tell the story about Nickelodeon's, how they selected kids, how they wanted them to...
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, here I said before that Nickelodeon gave me no notes. Probably the only area that they were most influential in was casting. I, every casting session I went to, and I've been to hundreds of them, seeing thousands of kids and adults, I always had a Nickelodeon person there with me. And they had two criteria. Well, three, if you count, they have to be good. <laughs> that was like third on the list. <laughs> they have to be good. One was, you got to be diverse. There, This is back in the early 90s. Diversity was huge from Nickelodeon. He said, we, we got an NAACP nomination for being such a diverse show. I mean, that's, and it was something that really wasn't done that much back in those days. And, and I mean, there was one episode we did, it was, if you remember, the Super Specs. Oh, yeah. Um, it was in our first season. It so in 1992. We had an interracial couple. And Ned and I looked at each other at one point and we said, ooh. And we, just, we didn't think, well, let's make an interracial couple. It was just like, oh, they're great. Let's have them together. And then at one point we said, are we going to get flack for this? And we both went, who cares? It's the right thing to do. What are you, crazy? It doesn't matter. we never got flack for it because they didn't need flack. They were great kids. Um, diversity was, was one, huge thing on their list. The other one was, <laughs> believe me, There were a lot of really good actors that I had to turn down because they were too much like Disney kids. Because we don't want Disney kids. We want real (coughs) kids. We want kids warts and all. We don't want kids that are just like, (laughs) overacting, no, we want real kids. So I'm like, we need so many kids. We don't have that many kids. And they're like, "Mm -mm, sorry. So I'm like, yeah, which is ironic. One kid got
1: passed. Yeah, exactly. Anybody know?
2: I I didn't think about it to this second.
1: Ryan Gosling. Yeah, he ended up on the Mickey Mouse Club. He was the
2: ultimate Disney kid. Yeah. When we cast the original Midnight, not the original Midnight, but the series Midnight Society, I wanted Ryan Gosling to play David in the Midnight Society. And we offered him the role. He lived in Montreal. We offered him the role. And uh, he he chose the Mickey Mouse Club instead. (laughs) It's a questionable decision because he was in the Mickey Mouse Club with Christina Aguilera and Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears and Carrie Washington. Carrie Russell. Carrie Russell. It was a questionable choice on his part, but, but but he went to Florida and he shot a couple seasons of, and then they got canceled.
1: Ah. Uh-huh.
2: And he came home, we're like, hey, that kid's back. So we got him in an episode of the show. So, so, so I guess they, there was the one Disney kid that, could, that slipped through. Uh, Excellent.
1: The, uh, Tale of the Midnight Madness, that Nosferatu character is scary. I mean, that is scary. one that, did you get any notes on that? No, like, okay. we
2: never got scary. That's I, awesome. Never got notes on the scary level. <laughs> That's awesome. The, the notes we get, things like, we weren't allowed to show them striking a match. You never oh. saw them light the campfire. Interesting. Because that was imitatable behavior. They didn't want someone burning down their house and saying, "I learned it on Nickelodeon." I can't. <laughs> so, but scary, go for it. <laughs> you want to go for it? And there's some episodes that are like really scary. <laughs>
1: While we're talking about burning down the house, why don't you tell them what the midnight dust is? Does anybody know? Anybody
2: know what the? is? knows? Yeah. Coffee,
1: coffee creamer. Coffee creamer.
2: That's which, which a question. Maybe you shouldn't be eating coffee creamer <laughs> because it's it's petroleum based. It's oil. It's oil burns. <laughs> so I don't know who thought about the crew. They're like, "Watch this." Like, "Hey, let's use that." <laughs> this is awesome. We we added some pyrotechnics in there as well. You know, for the Poof! but but the flaming and the colors, that's practical effects.
1: Yeah, Sarah Rose learned it the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> Did you try it? Oh, yeah, we tried it.
2: It <laughs> worked? Oh, it worked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I <I'm telling> you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh... yeah,
1: it works. So uh, next episode will be the Tale of the Night Shift. And we chose this one because something uh, very particular about this episode.
2: The, when, when we did the show, we knew pretty much from the beginning how many episodes we were going to make. And that was 65. And the reason 65 is the magic number is because Nickelodeon did their scheduling in 13-week blocks. So every time we did a new season, we did 13 episodes. And we were on Saturday night on SNCC. We knew that eventually they were going to be stripping the show. Stripping the show means putting on Monday through Friday. So Monday through Friday, five days a week, times a 13 week block, carried the two 65. So we knew that we'd be making six. So we never really got canceled per se. We just filled the order and that that was it. So the episode, the third episode, the night shift you're gonna see tonight was our 65th and last episode. And because it was the last episode, I wanted to make it a little bit special. And it was difficult because it, there's no story, continuing story, that I could wrap up. You know, they weren't going to get off the island. You know, there, it's, it's there's nothing I could do. So so I did a couple of little Easter eggs. Which if you didn't know this was the last episode, you wouldn't know it's the last episode. So I'll, I'll point out the things that I put in it. You can go, oh, that's what that means. Uh, the tale itself, there's it just one thing that I did. And it was kind of on the nose, the very last image of the last shot of the tail is of a door closing. It's like, ah, how symbolic, a door is closing. And if that isn't enough, (laughs) it was room 65. So there's a 65 on the door, and the door closes, 65. So that was was to be the last image of the last tale of Are You Afraid of the Dark? With the Midnight Society, again, I wasn't going to say, well, this is our last meeting. Good night, everybody. That was too depressing. So what I, I did a couple of things I, I added over the course of the season, I added a little bit of a character dynamic between two of the characters and that kind of plays out in this last thing. Again, it's not a big dramatic thing, but you'll say, Oh, okay. There's a little, it's a little closure here. But the main thing that I did in every episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? It ends the exact same way, except for this episode. It ends with them putting out the campfire in this episode. I did not put out the campfire. So the intention was the last episode the last I just image,
1: got shells.
2: Oh my god. <laughs> oh, oh wait. The, <laughs> the the last image of the last episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark was a close up on the campfire that was continuing to burn and the idea is that campfires will always be burning, people will always be telling stories around campfire. This isn't over, this is going to keep on going.
0: Look, I got it. The, I got it.
2: Fire is about. There you go. There you go. Little did we know that a year and a half later, they're going to say, hey, you want to make some more episodes? (laughs) So uh, that doesn't diminish the fact of what we did. Uh, There is one fun thing, which, especially given the last episode we're going to see, one fun thing that happened. So, um, well, I'll do it when we talk about the next episode.
1: Okay, I was actually going to hop to that. So there was a, a bit of a gap because that was the end. So we got a new Midnight Society when the series came back for a couple more seasons. So we're gonna watch one of those with the new Midnight Society. That is the Tale of the Time Trap, and that would be in the year 2000. Um, one of the Midnight Society guys came back. Yep. And this was, a, th- I love this.
2: Well, yeah. it was, I mean, they were getting old. <laughs> They're in college telling yeah. scary <laughs> stories. Yeah, I know. It was like, I they the, got. The, beers now, the, right? the tale of, I, I haven't paid my taxes yet. No, it's like, it—it not it wasn't, it wasn't gonna work, but, one of the characters tucker who was the youngest of the kind of core group still was kind of in the range so i brought tucker back to this new midnight society and he was the link between the new midnight society uh and then i cast a bunch of new kids um and one fun thing that happened one of, one of the the one of the characters is vange who was named after my wife vange which was kind of fun um the uh the actress alicia cuthbert is in the uh, uh, New Midnight Society. I don't know if you know who she is. If she's been in a million movies, she was in Love Actually, for God's sake. I mean, she's like in a ton of things. She was one of the American girls that like the, the British guy who was, who goes over, and so um, so she's been in a lot. She was in Twenty Four. She's all this stuff. But uh, so the the day I never forget the day we brought this new group to the campfire scene. I'm thinking, okay, I got to run them through the paces here to show them what's going on. All these kids had grown up with the show. So I'm like, okay, here's what you do. Like, yeah, 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 we sit in the chair, we have the bag, we say, submit your approval, we reach in, <laughs> so They knew exactly what to do. So one of the kids, David is his name, David DeVoe is his name, played Andy in the New Midnight Society. You'll see him in this last episode. Um, and I said, at, this, at the campfire, I said, well, you know, one of you, David was in an episode. He was in the Tale of the Manaha. And I was like, ooh, I didn't know it was funny. Oh, yeah, that was you, bye, bye. And then Alicia said, I was in an episode, too. And I knew every frame of every episode of that show, and I had no memory of Alicia Cuthbert being in this show. So I was like, really? I'm thinking maybe it was Goosebumps. You know, she, just, <laughs> she, she forgot what episode it was. Like, like Really? You were, who directed that episode? She goes, you did. <laughs> and not only did I direct it, it was the last episode we had shot of the of the 65 so it wasn't even that long ago that he directed it something oh my god what and then she told me what she did i'm like oh my god that was you it's it's i won't tell you who it is, what it is you have to pick her out it's a very small part but it's an important it's not just like somebody walking by in the background it's it's an important part and if you know who alicia is you, you can point around you'll see her in this episode so so uh yeah she's in she's in the new midnight society
1: very cool
2: and, oh, oh let me say one other thing um it kind of bugs me, quite honestly. I get it, but it kind of bugs me that season six and seven don't get the same love that the first five seasons get. Well, they're
1: not easily available on DVD, come on. Well, that's one of the that. reasons, that's
2: one of the reasons. But I, I think, the I mean, it was like, well, season six and seven, ah, that's crap. I'm like, you know, it, it's not. It's some of our best episodes we did in six and seven, one of them is tonight, though it's ironic. Here we have, we had 91 episodes to choose from. We picked four episodes. Two of which have the same theme. <laughs> I was thinking that when it's, I was watching. It's it. wishes that go bad. Yes. <laughs> like, Oh, okay, yes. fine. We we did other shows. Believe me, I don't know. But, um, so, and this is one of our best episodes. And, but I think my theory is that when you think about it, kids who we talked about nostalgia and whatnot, kids who were watching the show in 1992, 1993, when they're 10, 11 years old, they're now in their 30s, and when they think back. by the time 1999-2000 rolled around, they're 17, 18 years old, they're not watching Are You Afraid of the Dark anymore. So they don't have those same warm fuzzies about season six and seven that they did about the other ones. And they're missing out because there are a lot of good episodes. And this is one of them. And and the other thing that's notable about this episode are two actors that are in it. Um, One is a kid who I think was in more episodes than any other episode. He was just that good. I kept casting him over and over again. Do you remember the tale of uh, The Dead Man's Float with yes. the, the pool monster what? uh that episode. he's my favorite. he's is it your favorite? He, he's the kid who gets drowned in the very beginning the very first scene he, he drowns uh his name is jay baruchel and he's been in a million things he's been in a million movies if you saw him you go oh yeah well hopefully you see oh that we all guy you
1: all know jay baruchel you know right yep. yeah from um yeah. everybody knows For, jay well he's one of those voice. guys he's you're like oh that uh, guy he's the voice of hiccup in, he's the voice uh, of hiccup in, uh how to Train Your Dragon. You all know Jay Bart. If you
2: saw, it, you, you'll oh, see him.
1: Yeah, 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 you know.
2: So he's in this, and he's, and he's so. You're going to see in this episode that his comic timing is so good. He's very good. He, I, I shouldn't say this, but he reminded me, and this is the era, but he reminded me of of Chandler and Friends, <laughs> just the way he's kind of doing stuff all the time, and so I kept casting him. So he's in this episode, as well as another actor you probably won't know his name. His name is uh, Richard Dumont, and he plays. Sardot, no, Mister, accent on the doe. This is a Sardo story, and this is from our last season of *Are You Not the last episode. Last season of *Are You
1: And one of the things I love is that Tucker's older brother Gary introduced the character of Sardo, and then Tucker kind of took over telling those stories. It'd have to be his. And story. who was it? Frank. Created Doctor Vink, Vink. Yep. and they were together in Tale of Cutter's, Cutter's Treasure, treasure. Yep. which we have the treasure chest on display. If you haven't seen it, um, I could keep talking forever. We got to start soonish, right? Is it dark yeah. enough to? Do? I'm fun. Okay, well Cutter. then we'll, we'll keep. Talking. I mean, the,
2: the thing is, what I tried to do with each of the kids is I tried to give them specific kinds of stories that they told. And believe me, I didn't start out with saying- Did the uh, writers
1: get matched with Midnight Society Kids to no, keep, no. no,
2: okay. No, it was stories that got matched. Okay. The thing is, one of the things that was really good about the show, and I think one of the reasons the writing is so good, is that there was no writing staff. It wasn't like the same four guys sitting around going, what are we gonna write about now? I don't know, it was, I would every season I put it out to say, pitch me stories. So we t- some writers only wrote one story, some wrote several stories, but I would pick the best stories that I found. That's why I think the writing is so good and so diverse. Um, what was the point of that? Uh, that? Oh, so, but there are six kids, 13 episodes. Every kid had to have at least two stories. So I try to match the episode, the, the, the story with the right storyteller. So there is a, a feeling of continuity that they, they, I mean, certainly Gary told Sardo, and, and Frank told Vink, um, but it's really fun reading social media now and people saying, who do they think is the best storyteller? It's like, Do we know who the best uh, storyteller is? <laughs> yes. it's Betty Ann. Betty Ann told the weirdest stories. So
1: here's the funny thing. I introduced my friend Hillary to this show recently, and she now knows when certain Midnight Society characters start to tell a story, she's like, oh, this is gonna be one of my favorites. Like she- <laughs> Oh, because that because story she told, she did, that kid told yeah, the story? she knows like which character tells her favorite her stories. stories. And you know, every kid has one, right? Like it's uh, so cool.
2: Uh, um, uh, Kristen always told romantic stories. David always told heartfelt stories. Frank always told, Kiki always told kind of macho girl stories. Um, uh, I had, a, I, maybe, I don't know if you're here tonight, but I, I got questioned something. I was interviewed for a magazine once. It was a, a, like a, a gay pride LGBTQ magazine. And they asked me if I had thought about that back then in, in the stories. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I was thinking ahead to that. I mean, diversity is as far as I went, frankly. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get quite into the, new millennia, Um, but they're using Kiki as an example. They're like, Kiki, Kiki really reads as as queer. I'm like, okay, I get (laughs) it. Yes, she does. (laughs) If you you perceive it that way, then that's exactly what what she did.
1: Okay, before I let you guys ask a couple questions before we get started with the screening, I do want you to mention the Twilight it's Zone. The paparazzi. The Twilight Zone connection. Oh, okay. Because obviously this is an anthology series very much inspired by The Twilight Zone. But tell the actual connection.
2: The, I, I don't know. Are we Twilight Zone fans here? Do we like Twilight Zone? Yeah. How can, it's, it's the... Gra- I, actually, I had... Ooh, I had a good... So before I tell that part, I, in our neighborhood, you meet people from walking dogs. And, and I met this one guy who's walking his dog all the time. He's an older guy. It's probably my age now. But, but he's walking his dog all the time. He starts to talk to people. And you start to get to know them. And we started to talk about who we were as opposed to who our dogs were. And, uh, and he said, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm in the film business. I'm TV. He goes, I was too. Like, really? What did you do? I said, I was, I was the first assistant director. I'm like, ooh, those are the, those, that's a tough job. Because the first assistant director does the schedule. and keeps everybody in line. and keeps everything moving all the time. Um, and I said, "Working on any shows I might have known? And he goes, you don't know how hard it is to make a show until you make a show, your first assistant director on a show where every week it's a different story, he did The Twilight Zone. And I was just like, holy mackerel, I said, funny you should say that because I know exactly how it is to do that kind of show. So I am a big Twilight Twilight Zone fan. So at the beginning of, I thought more episodes than there were of The Twilight Zone, apparently it wasn't that many episodes, but for some reason I remembered it. That you know, The Twilight Zone always starts out with like a creepy thing happens. And then they whoop, and they whip pan to Rod Serling, who's standing there, and he gives a little introduction. And how I remember him often beginning that introduction, he would say, submitted for your approval. A man walks down the street and a safe falls out, or whatever it happens to be. But he, he would often say, submitted for your approval. So that's on every episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? We pay homage to The Twilight Zone, because the last thing the kids say before they put the Creamora on the on the fire is they say submitted for the approval of the midnight society i call the story so that's that's homage to the twilight zone and in every episode
1: i love that all right now dj i have interviewed you numerous times now we've i've asked you a lot of questions do you remember the first question i ever asked you the answer is no
2: you don't yes you said can we do this someplace other than your office (laughs) yeah
1: no, no the first question i asked you was was um before that, even at a convention, I got up to the Q&A mic and I said, oh. you know, it's all about reboots these days. Are You Afraid of the Dark is begging for a reboot. When's it going to happen? And his answer was. It is. No, you said uh, never. Oh, did you I say never? Never. It's <laughs> never going to happen.
2: Yeah, the, the show's been rebooted. Um, I have nothing to do with it. Uh, other than I created it. So my, my line is, if if you like it, you're welcome. Because uh, Ned and I created the show, if you don 't like it, we had nothing to do with it, we, uh, um, it it's it's i 've only seen the first one I mean our names are all over it because that 's our birthright because we created the show, and I cashed the chicks
1: but why was Brilliant. your answer never? You were very specific about this will never happen because well
2: oh, i didn 't think TV was right for this.
1: you said there were like two production companies or something oh that
2: oh oh well, yeah that 's interesting um, <laughs> well, and I still don 't know how that came out. Um,
1: Oh, somebody's being sued. Uh, are you
2: afraid? Well, <laughs> apparently not. I thought they would be, but they're not. All right. Uh, are You Afraid of Dark was a co-production between Nickelodeon in the US and this company called Cinar in Canada. And and uh, boy, I'll never forget. Boy, talk about going to, uh, pitching the show to Nickelodeon all that time. And I wrote the scripts and with Nickelodeon. And we're all set to go. And they called us in for a meeting. Ned and I. And we're like, this is it. We're going to get picked up for the show. We're going to make a show. It's exciting. Here we go. And we sat down and they said, we love your show. And we're like, yeah, thanks. Because we we want to make your show. Yeah, thank OK, fine. So, we don't want to pay for your show. We're like, I get what? <laughs> Excuse me? Like, yeah, we only want to pay for half the show, meaning we only want to show it on Nickelodeon in the United States rest of the world we don't care about. So if you can come up with the rest of the money, we'll make your show. Like, oh so my brilliant partner Ned knew of a production company that mostly that only did animation up in Montreal and said, We got the show, it's ready made. All you have to do is write a couple checks. And do you want to do it? And they're like, yes we do. So so Nickelodeon has the domestic rights to Are You Afraid of the Dark? This company Cinar, which doesn't even exist anymore because they're crooks and they went out of business. Um, owns the rest of the world and they sell it to the rest of the world um in return for that that's why we had to shoot in canada because they got all these tax credits to be able to shoot up there so i'm thinking these two companies do not get along so i probably my answer to you is probably they're never going to figure out how to do this again well apparently they did uh and and i think the canadian company doesn't get anything because for right so i maybe they have to license it i don't know so that it's being made again uh but but actually apropos of that going back to we got called back to do two more seasons. The reason for that had nothing to do with Nickelodeon. It's when that company licensed the show across the world, they license it in five-year increments. So they go to Italy and they're like, you can have the show for whatever the broadcaster, you can have it for five years. Well, okay, we started in 92, 93, again to 97, 98, those five-year licenses are starting to run out. So this company wants Italy, whatever, to re-license the show again. So they came to me and said, we want these companies to relicense the show again. We want to sweeten the pot by giving them new episodes. So that's why we came back and did a couple more seasons of, of Are You Afraid of the Dark? So, and then we went to Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon said, said do, you, do you want to do it? And they're like, sure, we'll do it again. So so it was still a Nickelodeon show, but, but it was the Canadians that drove the reason that it came back to do 26 more episodes. And then they all got arrested and went out of business. So that's why we stopped. So again, we weren't canceled again. <laughs> the, the, Royal Canadian Mounted Police were at their door and we got out of Dodge just before things happened. So that's, thank <laughs> so like, hey, you, I Put the fire out this time, here we go. <laughs> okay, <laughs> goodbye, <All right. laughs> au revoir.
1: <laughs> Let me ask your daughter really quickly. Did he ask, did he tell you scary tales as a kid? All the time. How did, how did the missus feel about that? Oh,
2: no, it was fine. I, we go backpacking and she's like, all right, tell me a story. So we're hiking for five hours. He's talking the whole time, um, <laughs> her story cause like, you know, something to do while, while we're hiking. Because she hated hiking. So the way <laughs> I kept her interest is I tell her scary story. I'd say, okay, what you have to do is you have to give me two things, two items. I'm not starting from scratch. Give me two items. And... Uh, if, if give me two items and I'll come up with a story about it. So then I'd have. Of course, my first reaction was I'm off duty. I don't want to have to think. I'm a, I'm a. But, but I kept her engaged. Then we were walking. Cool. And then I started showing you *Are You Afraid of the Dark* when you are about what age? Like maybe t- eight. Pretty young. Yeah, you're pretty young. So you haven't seen them all yet, though. I haven't seen them all. No. no.
1: Cool. Yeah. You should check them all out. They're good. <laughs> um,
2: it, it was. It, but we did it before you were because there's no character named Keaton. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. righty, it is getting dark. We got time for like maybe two questions or so. So anybody like dying to ask a really good question, raise <laughs> your hand. The pressure's
2: on, it's gotta be a good question. Sure, go ahead. So you
1: mentioned your favorite episode that you have I know the answer, can I, can, can I say what you, you Yeah, yeah. yeah but it, so I know the answer only because I pitched it as one to show tonight. And he's like, he's like that's the only one I ask you, please don't. Please don't.
2: <laughs> is it the same one I'm thinking? Uh, the, um... Pinball? No. Oh, oh I,
1: I love pinball.
2: That's the best one. You don't like
1: pinball? <laughs> pinball. <laughs> oh, my God, I love... It. No, that's not the one. I was talking Uh-oh. about the cab.
2: Oh, 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 that's right. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, uh, Jeff wanted to show Phantom Cab. Um, it's not my favorite
1: episode.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Reasons I won't say. It's, not, it's good. It's Dr. Fink in it. it, it it's the first series, but yeah, there, there are some things that make me go... Yeah, um, but
1: pinball, what?
2: The reason I don't like pinball, it was the single hardest episode that we ever made. We <laughs> bit off way more than we could chew. I mean, my whole thing with the show is we didn't have a big budget. So you you want to keep pushing and doing good stuff, but you don't want to go so far that it gets really cheesy and fail. And it started from the beginning with the writer, I didn't write it, I was the writer of the show, she pitched me idea. I've got an idea for a show about a giant pinball machine with a with the characters trapped in a pinball machine. That's a really cool visual. I'm like, ooh, I like that. I wish I'd thought it through a little bit more because one, we couldn't afford to do a giant pinball machine of a guy being chased around by a pinball, plus it's only one bit, you know. So I moved it over to be more like a video game where it was different levels and he had to, he had to reach different levels and whatnot. It was too much to do. It was it was horrible. It was the only episode that took six days to shoot. It was at the end of a season we had to convince the crew to work almost for free on the last day we shot in this freaking mall that we went to work when they were closing up for the night and then we shot through the night and then we finished up as they're opening up for the next day it was just a tour it was the last episode of season one and i was just like and oh and there's another reason to, okay making a show is hard it's really hard and so we finished the first season of the show and I was, I was proud of it. And the show was successful and everybody liked it. And, and Nickelodeon threw this big, huge party. It was a SNCC party. It was like a, a Paramount lot or something like that. And so it was a big, it was all about, we did great. SNCC is a success. This is going to be wonderful. And everyone, there was not a, not a negative thing was said. Congratulations, you did a good job. Was, that's all it was all night. There's this one guy whose name I will not mention. <laughs> we used to work for Nickelodeon. He's well known in this business as not being a nice guy, but I, I won't mention his name. And so, after all this, congratulations, DJ did a great even if they meant it, didn't mean it. like, we oh, did great, the show's great, everybody loves it. Oh, we got it, it's just, it was a great night. He comes up to me and he looks at me and he goes, A giant pinball, really? Oh. <laughs> that That's, last image of the tail with the I giant love pinball. That for, image. I know, I did too. That's one thing I like about it. I love that but image. But it was just like, pfft, so, there are a lot of bad stuff. But but, but and then, ironically, I'll tell you something. That it's most people's favorite episode. So, that's there's good. That's a good thing. It's most people's favorite episode. Good. Okay.
0: Uh, with all due respect, it is the greatest episode. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah. man, it's because it's so dark
2: of an ending. Yeah. Like, for the entire series to watch every episode, yeah. and
1: then for him to have done all that work, and he saves the day, and to be stuck, it, to this day, I'm not even saying this because you're here. To this day, I think about that moment, that giant pinball Nick, he's looking
2: down at it. Yeah, it's, yeah. thank you. It's <laughs> a, yeah, the hard work. a giant pinball. Yes. <laughs> the hard work
1: paid off. Last question right here. Do you have any current projects that
2: you're doing? Oh, I got a bunch of things. I, I've actually I've been writing books for years and years, and I kind of burned out on doing books. So I've got a number of TV projects in her development. Um, In development is the key word it takes forever. I mean are you afraid of dark was developed for like three years before we got it done I sold this one show to HBO max and I'm still waiting for them to say okay. Here's the green light. It's fine So it's it's I've got a lot of things that probably won't see that there a lot of them are animated Because animation is really becoming a thing oddly enough. I think it started with COVID. frankly (laughs) everyone's at home working so uh, so yeah, so that's that's probably the the First thing you'll probably see for me will be this show on HBO max, but not till 2024 that's how long it takes to do these things. So, uh, cool. so, there's, so there's a lot of things cooking, but nothing that's imminent. Awesome. I'll put it that way. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much, DJ. This was awesome.
2: All right, pleasure.
0: Okay, that's it for today. We'll catch you back here tomorrow for our regular weekly roundup of news from around the industry. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Luis Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant.